Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Let's go to uh, what I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about the present day ministry of Jesus Christ. Because we know what Jesus has done for us upon the cross and how he bore our sins, he carried our diseases, and then he... Um, he died and he rose again. He ascended to heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father. And we, we know that much. And we know that he's praying for us. That's the only part we think of. He's interceding for us. But there's much more to what he's doing today. The present day ministry of Christ. It's okay. So let's, let's talk about that this evening. The present day ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus does have a ministry today. When he walked on this earth, he had a ministry. He, he taught the word of God. He preached the gospel. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. And, you know, he, he worked miracles. But he still has a ministry today. There's things he's doing today. But let's uh, start by, I'm going to give you quite a number of scriptures. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Uh, in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1, and uh, it says, uh, okay, I'm going to read to you a few scriptures. I'm going to start with uh, verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I mean, that is a whole week seminar right there. He has delivered us. You know, salvation is a powerful experience. It's not just a, you know, sometimes we think, okay, salvation, you receive Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and, and that's it, you know. But there's much, much more. It is actually, he has delivered us. He has taken us from the power of darkness. And in another translation, it says, from the dominion of darkness and a dominion is a territory that is controlled by somebody. It's a territory. So he has delivered us. He has taken out of Satan's dominion, out of Satan's domain. And he has transferred us, translated us. And translated here means moved, like Philip was translated. Remember how? So, and he has moved us to the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. So it's a, it's a powerful, and if we, just, if we just understood that, that would really change our whole outlook and our understanding of what we call being born again, of what we know as the salvation experience. Amen. Amen. We have been taken out of the dominion of darkness, and we have been translated into the kingdom of his son. Then he says, and then he talks about that son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through his blood. We have been redeemed. And redeemed, actually, what the word redeemed means, that it's like when you go to buy something. Uh, and um, like, for example, you go to a, uh, you know, a big department store chain, right? And you see something that you want, and you make a down payment on it. You, you pay, you don't 
have the full amount. You pay $100 and then you tell them, please keep it for me. I'll be back tomorrow and I'll pay the rest. To redeem means when you go and you pay the rest. And when you pay the rest, then that item actually belongs to you. And you walk away with it because you have redeemed it. So where it says that Jesus has redeemed us through his blood. He has bought us completely. He has paid for us. We now belong to him. And Satan has no ownership rights on us. We belong 100% to Jesus because Jesus has, he owns us. He has paid for us. Okay? Then we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. That means all our sins, all our transgressions, everything that stood between us and God has been forgiven. God has chosen to forgive us because Jesus has purchased us and washed away our sins through his blood. Then it says, then it begins to talk about the son who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven. So he's talking about the person who has redeemed us, who has purchased us, who this person is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So Jesus has created all things, visible things, invisible things, even things that Christians are normally scared of, powers and principalities, right? People talk about, you know, powers and principalities and Rulers, you know, we talk about demons, you know, okay, we can cast out demons, but when he talks about powers and principalities and rulers of, you know, wickedness in high places, then that's when we need the specialist <laughs> demon casters because we ordinary folks can't oh, tackle them. Yeah. But he says, Jesus, it created them. Yeah. Right? right. He, he, he got a hold of everything. All those things are nothing before him. Yeah, and there's really no competition between the devil and Jesus. There is, I don't know why people make it sound like there's some kind of competition going on. There is no competition. They are created beings. Jesus is the creator. They rebelled against them. He defeated them. Decisively. Once and for all. Okay? And he's the one who has redeemed us and purchased us. Okay. And then it says here, verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. Amen. The head of the body and the church is not a some guy with some mega church, you know, and he thinks everybody should be under his covering or something. No, the head of the body is Jesus himself. We have a direct access to God, all of us. You can be in a little place somewhere 
out there in Texas with a small church, but you have direct access to the throne of God. Don't let anyone ever let you talk out of it. Nobody can talk you out of it. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? And I must, I must tell you something, okay? I must, this is my observation. Uh, I appreciate big churches, but a big churches doesn't necessarily mean a greater presence of God. There are many, many factors. Sometimes uh, a, lo- a lot of big ministries in America are based on, on personality and pizzazz. It is just that way. You understand what I'm saying? Like uh, in Zimbabwe, the biggest church that I know, the guy he claims to have, uh, I mean, that pastor, in a poor country like Zimbabwe, with this 90% unemployment, he is worth $150 million. That's his personal money. Okay? And he has like, he claims to have 2 million members. I don't know whether he has in his churches, but he has. Lots of members and a lot of people. I was once in a plane with him, and the and and the immigration of officers and the airline staff came and went on their knees before him. He was sitting two rows in front of me, and this guy, I checked him, found out that he was with the Assemblies of God, and when they tried to discipline him for the second time for sexual immorality, he resigned, divorced his wife. Married his secretary, started his own church. But how could he build such a big church? Well, because in some places of the world, charisma trumps character. He can preach. I mean, you sit and listen to him, you say, wow, I wish I had that kind of revelation. He can preach. So I'm not to judge him. But he's certainly not a man whose example I would follow. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, church size doesn't mean anything. It's the size of your footprint and the impact you have on people's lives. That's the important thing. Amen? And the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And as long as we are faithfully serving him, following him, that's all that counts. As long as we faithfully serve and follow him, that's all that counts. Amen. Amen? I remember my father was general in the army, and my commanding officer was his classmate. And uh, my father said, uh, you know, in the army you have different courses, but if, when, you, when you want to go to general ranks, you know, general, you have to go to the command and staff college. You, you have to pass that if you want to go over colonel, you want to become a general. And my father, when he, when he went to the command and staff college, this man, he failed. He was the only one who failed in the command and staff college. But when war came, he was decorated for bravery. And then they retired him. Then six years later, there was war again. Then they recalled him. And they gave him a staff job. He said, no, I want to command a battalion. And he commanded my battalion. And he, he was an incredibly brave man. He was killed in action, leading the battalion from the front, and he was decorated again. And my father said, 
Sometimes those of us who are the best in theory are not the best in the battlefield. Sometimes the one we think are, you know, who, who don't make the cut, they are the best of us. So you always have to remember that, that the only thing that counts is your walk with God and your faith and, you know, those are, there, there are other things than just numbers. You with me? Yeah. Numbers are okay, but it's not numbers. It's, it's, it's the quality of your walk with God. Okay. Okay, anyway, then it says here, and he's before all things and all by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Not just prominent, but preeminent. That Jesus Christ should be before all things. And we must put Christ above all things in our personal lives and in our church, not just pay lip service to him, but the person of Jesus Christ. Not just what he has done, but the person of Christ. The focus should be on the person of Christ because when we talk about what he has done, it is the person who has done all this. So we have to put the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and to him belongs all our devotion, all our loyalty. He is the one who, before whom we stand face to face when we pray. His face is the one we seek. Amen. We talk about the person of Jesus. And I think this is one thing that the church has, has largely forgotten because we are so much into concepts, you know. We talk about faith and prayer and worship and healing and, and, and church growth and leadership. And we talk about concepts that we forget the face of the man who purchased us with his blood, the man Jesus Christ. And that is what we should, this is in all things. He is before all things so that in all things he may have preeminence. Christ before all things. Hallelujah. Then it says why in verse 19. And it says, for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell. The father, it pleased the father. That in Jesus, all fullness should dwell in Christ. Amen. So God has lifted up Jesus so that even our relationship with the Father is through Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Anyway, so let's look at the present day ministry of Jesus. There's a lot more you can read on your home when you get, read it um, to the end of the chapter. It tells you you know, what Jesus has done for us, who he is for us. You can read that to the end of the chapter, to verse 29 when you get home. But let's look at Ephesians 1.22. In Ephesians 1.22, when we're talking about the present-day ministry of Christ, the first thing is that Jesus and has put all things under his feet. The Father has put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be the head of all things to the church. 
Jesus, the first thing, the present day ministry of Jesus is that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of all things. He's the head, we are the body. All our directions come from him. We listen to him. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will take that which is mine and make it known to you. So what should we do now? Where do we go from here? Well, the Holy Spirit will bring that which is in the head and bring it to our spirits. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit will make it known to us, but he brings it from Jesus. He takes that which is in the heart of Jesus because Jesus is the head of the body. We, you know, we are the body. We are different parts of the body, but Jesus is the head. Some of us, we become so big, we begin to think we are the head. (laughs) We are are not the head, you know. Jesus is the head. I remember there was this, in Africa especially, we see this, People love titles, and if you're an apostle, you know, apostle. So you have all these apostles. Then one guy, he's a friend of mine. He began to call himself Apostle General. He's not; he's the general of the apostles. The next thing you know, he designed all these uniforms with <laughs> braids and stripes for himself, his wife, his assistant pastors, even his ushers. They walked around this fancy uniform where he had to, and, 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 you know, people like that, they begin to think that they are something. They are the head, you know, and, and they talk about, uh, I believe in submission to authority, but it becomes strange when suddenly, uh, when they talk about the chain of command, you know, the, it, it ends with them and not with Jesus. But Jesus is the head of the body, and he continues to be the head, and he still wants to be in charge. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Jesus still wants to be the head of the body. He still wants to be in charge. That's his first ministry. The second ministry, we see in Hebrews 3, 6, he's the son over God's house. It talks about how Moses was over the house as a servant. But Jesus was a son over God's house. Now, if you understand the Middle Eastern culture, when the, when the father is gone, uh, he tells the oldest, the most senior servant that, hey, you take care of my family. Make sure they're safe, they're protected. Okay? And so he has a son who is a minor, but he's not big enough to protect the family. But when the son becomes grown up, that responsibility of providing for and protecting the family passes on to the son, not to the servant anymore. So Moses was a servant over God's house. He was a servant over God's people and God put him in charge. But when the son came, Jesus, he's the one over God's house. Amen. And we are the household of faith. We are the household of God. And Jesus is the one who is over the household of God as the son. Amen. And it is his responsibility to protect the house, the household, to provide for the household, 
to be always there for them, make sure everyone is taken care of. But he can do that only as long as we are in obedience, as long we are, we are in Christ. So, all, you know, if you see all the blessings, you know, we are healed, it's in Christ. And we are more than conquerors in Christ. Everything we are, we are in Christ. There is nothing that we have that we have just by virtue of being born again. That's why, you know, sometimes we see politicians and people who, who are basically ungodly, and we say, oh, no, no, he's born again. Well, how do you know? Well, he prayed the sinner's prayer some years ago with Reverend so-and-so. Yeah, but the thing is, is he in Christ? Is he in Christ? Is it enough? You know, in America, we like that. People who we like, they can be football players, they can be politicians, they can be movie stars. If we like them, especially the Republicans, Hello, if I'm stepping on your toes, you got your toes in the wrong place, then we say, oh, he's born again. Well, he doesn't have any fruit in his life. Yeah, but look at David, you know, David, well, he made, yeah, but David wasn't a man after God's own heart because he sinned. He was a man after God's own heart because he was repentant. And when David repented, if you notice, he never committed the same sin again. You know, so in America, we have this habit that people we like, whether it's because uh, we, 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 you know, we like, you know, in this area, if he's from the Dallas Cowboys or whatever your favorite football team is, you know, he's from your favorite football team or he's your favorite movie star or your favorite politician, you'll say, oh, he's born again. How do you know? Well, he has no fruit in his life, but he's born again. How do you know? Well, uh, so-and-so said he prayed the sinner's prayer with him. Is that enough? No. Question is, is he in Christ? Is he living in Christ? If he's walking in Christ? Because that is the one thing that defines us. Because it is in Christ we have redemption. It is in Christ we have forgiveness. It is in Christ we have life. It is in Christ we have healing. Everything we have, we have in Christ. And we don't have anything by virtue of some anonymous sinner's prayer we prayed with somebody eight years ago. Hello? Say ouch if you can't say amen. But say something. You see, we have to go back to that. It's all about Jesus. He's the son over God's house. And as long as we live under the sun... That's when we have life. The Bible says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides in him. It is simple as that. Amen. Okay. Hebrews 12, 2. So Jesus is the son over God's house. He's our protector. He's our provider. Hebrews 12, 2. And I like this. He says, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means Jesus is the one. You know, let me tell you. I don't know about you, but in my case, I didn't find Jesus. He found me because he wasn't lost. I was the one who was lost. Right? He found me. I was lost. So I sometimes ask, but why did you pick on me? There were millions of other people. And I was just minding my own business. Walking on the street, and that guy gave me the tract, and 
told me if I received Jesus, he would set me free. So you picked on me. So you are the one who started this. He's the author of the faith. And he's the finisher of the faith. That means from A to Z, or in America you say A to Z. A to Z. He's the one who began it. He's the one who's going to finish it. And he's the one who carries us. So faith is never your responsibility, but it's your response to God's ability. Amen. Amen. The life of faith was never meant to be difficult. But it was supposed to be God carrying us. And we just living our lives in Christ. The Bible says our lives, we are hidden in Christ, in God. And if, if we are hidden in Christ, in God. You see, all this has nothing to, has less to do with knowledge. But it has more to do with position. Where do you position yourself? And so, I think in word of faith, sometimes we talk more about what we have to do and less about what Jesus has done for us. And that's what often turns faith into works. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there, is, there are these two sides to the, to, to, to the story of redemption, what Christ has done for us and what we do to appropriate that which he has done for us. But we always have to keep that balance because when we lose sight of Jesus and what he has done for us and we put the focus more on what we have to do, so it, it becomes a heavy burden on us. But Jesus never intended to burden us. He said, come unto me, you that labor and a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. There's a rest in faith. Amen. There's a rest in faith. But Hebrews 4 actually says, here's the paradox. So labor to enter into that rest. The rest of faith is that place where we walk into the full blessings of Calvary. Everything that Jesus has done for us, when we walk into it and we live there, right? We, we live our lives in, 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 in an assurance of salvation. We live our lives in divine health. We live our lives in divine provision. We live our lives in the fullness of what God has already provided for us. Okay, there's a rest there. So is that he who enters into the rest ceases from his own labor. So we don't feel that we all the time have to produce something to make it happen, but we enter into, the, but to enter into that rest, you have to labor. You have to, and, and how you labor is mainly through uh, renewing your mind and affirming and confessing. You know, it's, the, it's that part. You have to fight that fight, that, that, that whole thing about confessing and acknowledging what Jesus has done for you. It's, it's, that, it's the battle. The battle is in your mind and you should never give it up. Because the devil will throw everything he has at you, but you have to stand and every time he speaks, you have to speak. 
Every, never get tired of speaking the word of God. Uh, anytime uh, condemnation comes, you say, no, there's no condemnation on me because I'm, I'm in Christ Jesus. So, you know, when you, that's how you renew your mind, by speaking the word, by speaking the word, by speaking the word. Anytime a thought comes, anytime something comes to your mind that is contrary to what the word of God says, you must always open your mouth and speak that word. And not let it pass, not let it pass unresponded. So you, you speak your word. And so in the process, what happens is that that's how your mind gets renewed. Your mind gets trained and retrained and you begin to think in line with the word of God. And when you begin to think in line with the word of God, so that the thoughts of God become part of your DNA. So you no longer think like you think, but you find that your thought pattern changes to thinking how God thinks. That is when you enter into the rest. But you have to labor to enter into the rest. You, there, there is a work involved. But once you enter into the rest, you have ceased from your labors. Are you with me? But if you're constantly fighting and, uh, you know, you, you go to a word church and you hear the word and you like the word, but then, but you don't deal with those things in your own life. You don't have a confession. You don't, you know, and you think it will only be solved when there's a prayer line. You come and say, oh, I messed up. And you think they will, listen, people can lay hands on you and give you Pentecostal massages until you grow bald. <laughs> Nothing will change until you open your mouth because the Bible says the word of faith is nigh thee, even in your mouth. Hallelujah. So where is the word? It is right here. It is right here. Amen. The word of faith is right. You know, we get tired of a lot of things, but one thing we never get tired of is talking. Is there anyone who has, have you ever heard anyone say, I'm so tired, I've been talking so much, I think I'll be quiet. Rarely do you meet that person. And I think God has made it that way, so we can incessantly, nonstop, speak the word of God. We should never get tired of speaking the word. Amen. Hallelujah. Anyway, so where was I? How did I get into that? Okay. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that the great thing, he carries us. He carries us from beginning to end. And you know, once you enter into the rest, rest of faith, you come to a place, then you say, you know what? It's going to be okay. No matter what's happening, it's going to be okay. When COVID came, my wife and I said, you know, we're going to be okay. We have been through worse things before. I spent a, almost a year in prison in Pakistan and was tortured. I've been through that. I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be preaching the gospel when this is over. Yeah, amen? amen? Yeah. And it's over and I'm still preaching the gospel. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen? But for some people it was the end of the world. Yeah. Nothing is the end of the world because Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. He started it and he'll finish it. Amen? Amen? You've got to look at the bigger picture, not just you, how you feel, but look at the bigger picture. Amen. Okay, the second, the next thing is Colossians 2, 
9.10. It says, for in him, Jesus, dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him. You know, they, I mean, just think of it. In the person of Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead. The Godhead is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just think of it. The fullness of all that the Father is and has and can do. The fullness of all who Jesus is, has, can do. And the fullness of all that the Holy Spirit is, has, can do, dwells in him. And we, when we are in Christ, we are complete. Amen. We are complete in Jesus. That's when we come to fullness. That we come to realization. Amen. That's where we don't have a divided heart. You know, people's heart is divided. People's mind are divided. Some people call it, you know, they call it personality disorder or schizophrenia. That's when people have multiple personalities. But when we are in Christ, we are complete. Amen. These things should never exist in the life of a Christian. Because in Jesus Christ, we are complete. Hallelujah. Why? Because in him dwells the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Bodily. Physically. Amen? Amen. Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just think of it. And 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. So the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and the power of God are found in Jesus. You know, the interesting thing is that I've been in the ministry for 46 years, and the most powerful men and women of God I have known in my life are the ones who walk closest with Jesus. Honestly. They were the ones who had the closest walk with Jesus. I'll never forget, uh, you know, I mean, people who didn't know, I was very close to Brother Hagen personally. That was one of the greatest privileges of my life. And people who didn't know him, they always talked about his faith, you know, and how, how he could read your mail when he, you know, he remembered things from like 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, things like that. But I'll never forget, many years ago, I was eating, I was doing, I think it was breakfast with Reinhard Bonke and his wife. Reinhard was one of my, member, my mentors. And we were talking, and, and Reinhardt said something striking to me. He says, he says, you know, Christopher, you were really blessed uh, to go to Rhema. I said, why do you say that? He said, because you sat under the ministry of Kenneth Hagen. And then he said something to me. He says, 
I have met all the well-known men and women of God of our time, but I have never met a man who walks so close to the face of God yep. as the old man Hagen. Yep. Those were his words. Amen. To those of us who knew him up close, knew that his greatest, the greatest thing in his life were not like his, you know, the revelation he walked in. But there were two things, uh, actually three things. Firstly, he walked with God. I mean, he knew the Father intimately. And the second thing was that he walked in love like no one I'd ever met before. Thirdly, I have never met a man so small in his own eyes as Kenneth e. Hagen. And, and when you're around people like that, you, you know, it leaves a mark on your life. But the second two were a result of the first. So I can say the great men of God I have known, I mean, people, you know, who have mentored me, people like Harry Greenwood and Ian Andrews and people who really had miracles and flowed in the supernatural things of God and people who really spoke into my life. There was one common thread between them. They knew Jesus. They really walked with Jesus. Amen. Amen. They walked with Jesus. So, because in Christ are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13.8. Another aspect of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Can you imagine that? For 2,000 years he has not changed. World has changed, people have changed, people's doctrines have changed, the way people do things have changed, values have changed. I'm talking about the church, but Jesus has never changed. What he was in the pages of the Bible is still the same today. You know, some people say, well, you have to interpret the Bible according to. When it comes to moral issues, you know, you have to interpret the Bible according to today's culture, today's. You know what? Hey, for me, then I'll have to change Jesus also. I can't do that because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same today. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ does the very same things today that he did 2,000 years ago. And like we said yesterday, that is what we should be saying with our mouths instead of saying stupid things like, why doesn't God do the same things in America uh, that he does in Africa? Well, I tell you why. It's because of that stupid question we ask all the time. Why? Because <laughs> the only reason people ask that dumb question is because they don't really believe that Jesus does the, Jesus can do the same things here that he does there. That's why they ask the question. Because if they didn't believe it, they wouldn't be asking that question. But I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Because Jesus for me is the same. Wherever he goes, is the same. Amen. And we must preach Christ. We as preachers, we must 
preach Christ. And that's the only way we can change that, by preaching Christ and secondly, by demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. Preachers, we have to rise up and demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. It is no longer enough to line people up and, you know, give them that little nudge and then they do that courtesy drop and put their <laughs> tablecloth on the woman's legs. I'm sorry, that stuff doesn't cut any ice anymore. We must demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. We are full of the Holy Spirit. And if you say, well, I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I tell you what, get on your knees and get it. Amen. There's no shortcuts to it. We want everything shortcuts, you know. Short, everything instant. Instant soup. They even have instant grits these days. People can't take that 45 minutes of stirring. They need to have instant grits. And it doesn't taste the same. Instant Pentecost doesn't taste the same. It doesn't feel the same. Do you understand what I mean? People want instant Pentecost. Shortcuts. It doesn't taste the same. Amen. Some things still come the old-fashioned way. But you can get it. And believe it. And preach it. And practice it. And God will do it. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that with all my heart. That's one of my core values. Jesus is the same. That is his ministry. That is who he is. Hallelujah. That is what the gospel is all about. Amen. Okay. Hebrews 13.5 and Matthew 28. He is our always present friend. He said, I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. He says, lo, I'm with you always. When he gave the great commission to preach the gospel, he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You hear me? You know, when I was at that first picture of the crowd I showed you, it was only one person, nominal Christians. I remember before I got up before the crowd. Now, in America, at least people, they know something about Jesus. So, you know, so when you say, you know, Jesus, so they say, okay, you know, even if their belief about Jesus is a bit twisted, there's something you can relate to. But when you go to a place where people even haven't even heard his name. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, Lord, what should I do? What should I say to these people? They, most of these people never even heard your name. Yeah. Do you know there are people like that? I never heard about Jesus until I was 21 years of age. So I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, just preach about the cross. So I, 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 you know, I talked about, you know, I basically mentioned sin and then I mentioned how God sent his son. Then I talked about how, you know, five minutes about how he walked on the earth, did miracles. And then I talked about the whipping post, how he was whipped and bruised and beaten, bearing our sins and carrying our diseases. And how he was crowned with thorns and the curses that were upon us and was, were put upon him. And then I talked about how he was nailed to the cross bearing our sins. And the moment I said that, before I could finish, people jumped to their feet. They were sitting on the ground. They came screaming, running to the front to get saved. Wow. Now, 
Why? Is it, 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 was it my ability to intellectually, you know, convince them? No, it was the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit needs something to work with. You must put something out there for the Holy Spirit to work with. And the only thing that the Holy Spirit works with is the story of the cross of Jesus. The bloody, gory, glorious story of the cross with nothing held back. When you preach that, I, you know, I, I haven't even, I have even, I mean, I have stopped trying to understand how the thing works. All, all I know is that it does. Amen. We preach the cross of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and convicts people and, and he does the rest. Amen. Hallelujah. So he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then the next thing is, Luke 3.16. Jesus, let me, let, let me read it to you. I love this little passage of scripture. Luke, Luke 3. It says, Sixteen. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes, that means basically the buckle of whose shoes or the shoelaces, I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with, with fire. I want to explain something here. They were asking John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he says, I baptize you with water. The word baptizo means to immerse. He said, I immerse you in water. But there's one coming after me. Then he says, he's mightier than I. Okay? But then he tells us how much mightier than John himself, Jesus was. He says, I am not worthy to untie his shoelaces. Now I want you to understand that. He's saying that Jesus is greater and mightier than I, but he's so much mightier than I that I am not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. He will baptize you just like him, I immerse you in water, he'll immerse you into the Holy Ghost and into fire. Now, but that phrase really got me because it took me back to my Middle Eastern culture. He's so much greater than me that I am not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. Now, where I grew up in my culture, respect and honor is a big thing. You, it's something we grow up with. You, you respect people. The most basic thing is you respect people older than you. You know, you, you, you never, I would never walk up to someone older than me and call him by his first name. You don't do that. People do that these days. Young people do that. There was a time people didn't do that. But people do that because they don't understand honor and respect. 
But honor and respect is great. Now, now I want to tell you how honor and respect runs in a family. So in a family, in a household, there's a pecking order. There's a father, then you go the mother, then you go the siblings by age, and then come the servants. And even among the servants, there's a pecking order. Right? Now, when I, of course, I'm almost 69 years old, and my uncles, I've got maybe one uncle who is alive, and I met him last year, and he's, he's in his 80s. But I remember, he's my only surviving uncle, but I haven't seen him for many years. But when I met him, uh, the tradition is I went and touched his feet. So you, you do that to those who are older than you. You, you bend down. That's Middle Eastern culture. You touch their feet, and then they, uh, the older, your older relative, your uncle or older cousin, older sibling, they will touch your head. Sorry to mess up your hair, Druba. He uses nice hair gel or spray. <laughs> I didn't know that. My apologies, brother. Okay, so... I remember I met my uncle vividly. I'm like, I'm, I'm 68 going 69, and he's like, uh, he's almost 90 years old. He's a war hero, lost one eye in the war. He's very highly respected. So he came to see me. So we met in my cousin's house, and I remember I bent down and touched his feet. He's my only surviving relative from that generation, and he touched my head. Now, the reason we do that is when we touch someone's feet, the feet being the lowest, I want, you to, I want you to get this, okay? This is very important to understanding the scripture. When we touch someone's feet, the feet being the lowest part of the body, what I'm saying is that I'm lesser than the least part of you. Okay? And then when he touches my head, he, he's blessing me. That's why in the Bible it even says, it is always the lesser who's blessed by the greater. That means even today, when I pray for people, I lay hands on people's head, but I will never lay hands on the head of someone older than me. Because it is always the lesser who's blessed by the greater. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, sometimes I go to churches and they say, oh, our our." worship team would like to lay hands on you. I find that very disturbing. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you can't, you being younger, you, you can't, you being younger, you can't impart something to your pastor. You can't. You're the best of intentions. You can pray for him, but you can't impart anything to him through the laying on of hands. It's always the lesser who's blessed by the greater. Listen, everybody is not equal. We are part of the same family, but everybody is not equal. You understand what I'm saying? Now, is the Eastern mindset. Most Western people don't understand this. Now, so the lesser is blessed by the greater. So the greater blesses the lesser. Now, when it so, it was my father and all that, but then we had servants in the house. We had several servants. The oldest servant is very interesting. Although he was a servant, he had been serving my father since my father was a second lieutenant. 
So although he was our servant, I still had to address him with respect and call him uncle. I never talked to him like I talked to the other servants because he had a special status and, and anything to do with the shoes, like when my father would come back from his office, you know, one of the servants would take his shoes and socks off and massage his feet. And This man would never touch my socks or my shoes because anything to do with the feet or the shoes was the job of the lowest servant. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Anything to do with the shoes and the socks. So now I want you to understand that that's why when Jesus, he said to Peter, he disappeared into the next room, came back with a basin, a bowl of water and a towel, and he sat down at Peter's face, uh, feet. Peter was horrified. He said, no, 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 no. You, you cannot touch my feet. You're my master. But Jesus said, no, I have to wash your feet. Because he took it so strongly. He says, if I can't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. So Peter, you know what Peter said? Peter said, Lord, okay, if you insist, wash my feet. But not only my feet, but my head also. Because if by mistake, someone older than you happened to touch your feet, the way you restored that order was you had to touch your head one more time. So, and Jesus said, no, only feet. So Jesus washed his feet. He made himself a servant. But for Jesus to do that, he had to be very secure. Because if you read the story about Jesus washing the feet, in the beginning it says, now Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things in his hand, he said, took that basin of water and, you know, washed the feet. And at the end, after he had washed their feet, he said, he said to the disciples, he says, you say, that I am your Lord and your master and that I am. In other words, before Jesus washed their feet, he was very secure. He knew that he could be a servant, but that would not diminish him in any way. And that even after he became a servant, he was still their master and their Lord. Okay? So that's another dimension to the story. But the whole thing about the feet is that it is always the least of the servants in the house that would, so when I would come home, it was always the least of the servants. He would untie my shoelaces. Now, back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was actually a second cousin of Jesus. Their mothers were first cousins. But John, the, and John the Baptist, not only that, but he was six months older than Jesus. What he was saying is this. He said, look, I baptize you in water. But there is one who is coming who is greater than me. And he is so much greater than me that I am not even worthy to be the least of his servants who unties his shoelaces. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But I want you to understand how John looked at himself in relation to Jesus. He says, he is mightier than I, but he's so much mightier than I that I am not even worthy to be the least of his servants who unties his shoelaces. And Jesus said about him that he was the greatest man in the old covenant. 
He was greater than Moses. He was greater than Abraham. He was greater than everybody in the Old Testament. But even he said, I am not even worthy to be the guy who unties his shoelaces. So, what was John the Baptist's revelation of Jesus? So I began to study that. What does he mean? I'm not even worthy. The greatest man in the old covenant. I'm not even worthy to be the least of his servants to untie shoelaces. So who is this Jesus? Well, you think of it, who he is. Says that he is the one who created all things. Okay? By him all things were made. And there was nothing that was made that was not made by him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He, with this word, the word of his power, he upholds all things. Jesus. Then it says, he measured the heavens in the span of his hand. The span of your hand is this, the span of your hand. And Jesus measured the universe with the span of his hand. Then I began to think of the universe. On a clear starry night in the northern hemisphere, when you look out at the stars, you see, you know, you see these millions of stars in the galaxy. And the star that is closest to us is Alpha Centauri, that is four and a half light years away. Do you know how far that is? Light traveling at 186,000 miles per second takes four and a half years to travel. That is the distance to Alpha Centauri, which is the star that is closest to our Earth. And beyond that, there are, and, and that is our galaxy, the Milky Way. And beyond that, there's millions of galaxies. Nobody knows how big the universe is there. So when you see a star and you say, well, there it is, no, it's not where it is. It was there thousands of years ago and the light has just reached you. So you feel so small when you look at the creation uh, you know, of God. And, and David, the psalmist says, he says, Lord, when I see all this, then I think, what is man that you are mindful of him? And we think we are so special. Some of us think we are so great. And he said, Lord, you're so great. What is man? that you should even care for us. And all that, this Jesus, who made all that, measured all that on the span of his hand. So, and yet that Jesus, what he did, he says the word became flesh. He reduced himself. He left his divine glory. And he took upon himself a robe made of the dust of the earth. And he came to this earth and walked in our midst. And sinful men spat upon him, mocked him, whipped him, beat him, killed him, crucified him. That Jesus, he looked to this whole universe and he looked at our little planet. And he looked at us sinful human beings. And he decided to become one of us. 
paid that horrible price, price rejected by us to redeem us, to save us. You think of it. That's why we say he's the author of our salvation. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. So that's why John the Baptist understood that. Sometimes we think, oh, Jesus, you know. Some people say, I have people come to me for, oh, I'm mad at God. You don't even know what you're thinking. That Jesus who created all things, who measured the universe in the span of his hand, he came down. He looked at us. Hallelujah. Just the fact that he looked at us, that he thought of us. And not only that, he became one of us. And he died for us. And John the Baptist said, he's so much greater than me. But you know what? I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. He had that revelation. He understood. That's why he said when Jesus came ministering, he didn't look at him as competition. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Amen. That Jesus, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That Jesus. May God give us a revelation of our Lord Jesus. He's above all things. And God has given him the name above every name. You know, even his name is so powerful. I have spoken his name and seen dead people raised up. That's why one of the things the Bible says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That name is so holy. It heals the sick. It raises the dead. That's why, when, you know, listen, when I watch movies or watch TV, if I ever, I put up a, with a lot of nonsense in the world, but the, if I ever hear the name of Jesus spoken in irreverence, I'll stop watching. I'll walk out of the movie theater. I'll switch it off. I've done that because for me, that name is everything. I've seen the lame walk when I speak that name, and I will not let anybody drag that name down and make it a profanity. Or even Christians use the name as a joke. You know, sometimes we're laughing and joking, and they'll say, oh, in Jesus' name. Uh-uh, don't speak that name. Don't use that name. Use any other name. Don't use that name. Because one day, You'll be standing beside the, dead, the deathbed of somebody and they'll call you to pray because you're a man of faith. And you'll speak the name of Jesus and nothing will happen. You don't want that to happen. Uphold that name. May God give us a revelation of who Jesus is. He's so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces, I'm not even worthy to be the least of his servants. Yet in spite of that, he looked at this world of sinful people. He looked like this, at a sinful person like me and picked me out of the dirt, cleansed me, 
baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And he sent me out. Think of it. That's your story too. That's my story. May God give us a revelation of who Jesus is. How wonderful he is. How holy he is. How holy his name is. That is where miracles are found, beloved. If you want to know the secret to the power of God, that, uh, what I shared with you, that is it. Let's all stand up together. Let's lift up our hands and worship him. I feel the Holy Spirit telling me, Pastor Rusty, I just feel like I want to hand it to you. You do or say whatever God puts in your heart. Let's lift up our hands. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship him. Worship him. Lord. Lord. Lord, change our hearts. Amen, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Pastor Rusty. Yes, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen. Praise God. You know, especially for you here at Island Church, be seated for just a moment. I know it's this is fall harvest, so we're going to follow the Holy Ghost. I'm on a series on Sunday morning now on what we're calling operational faith. But before that, I spent over six weeks in First Peter for you that have remember that. And you've got to understand, church, what's happening. If you don't understand what's happening here, you're going to miss it. Because this is the way these things happen. And just one of the scriptures that we, I read it every week for six weeks. Every week I read it. If you remember, this is it. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what did we, what were we doing during that time, studying that scripture, meditating on that scripture, uh, 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 teaching on that scripture? We were believing God for a grace. So what was the missing element? The revelation of Jesus that is brought, brought, brought unto you. So what has happened the last two nights? Do you understand? No, you don't understand. Because the most predominant crusade preacher on planet Earth has stood up here and done his very best by the anointing of God on him to paint a picture of Jesus in your heart. Do you understand what's going on? God is doing everything he can do to bring a greater grace into the church. And it perfectly lines up with his word. And it perfectly lines up with the times in which we live. And we're not moved by crowds. Why would he even come to a crowd like this? Because he knows it's something that God is doing that many are missing and not getting and not grasping because the distraction of what's going on in this world has pulled them away from Jesus. When you get pulled away from the church, away from prayer, away from the holiness, away from the sanctification, away from the goodness of living for God, despite what you're going through in this day and hour, 
I don't know if you can make it back. The time is too short. I don't think I've ever seen a fall harvest more beautifully orchestrated with Eddie teaching us on the mind and the only way on planet Earth to control it. You cannot control it through education. You cannot even control it through what I would call human discipline. It must be renewed by the Word of God every day. And God always uses illustrations like Brother Eddie who came from so far to where he is now. From a place in which he was actually a pastor and a minister ready to kill himself. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus showed up. Amen? And then here comes Chris, Pastor Christopher and he just takes this beautiful broad brushstroke of not only revelation but experience. He was a witness to that deaf mute that Jesus healed. Now, you, know, you, you got to get this, church. This is the same Jesus that walked upon the earth. This is the same Jesus. And listen, people are blessed because they see and experience signs and wonders and miracles. But you're even more blessed when you just believe it by faith. But then you look back over the years, and it's so surreal for me. I don't know, probably for you too, Christopher, to look back over the years and to think of what we've actually seen. Amen? Of people actually a demonstration of the proclamation that has been given to us by the finished work of the one who the demonstration glorifies, Jesus. There's no demonstration to the Muslim religion, the Buddhist religion, the Hindu religion. And let me just say this, there's no, there's no demonstration to dead Christianity. I was there when the charismatic move began in the 60s and saw the hunger of people just go through the roof for God and people begin to experience awesome things because of their hunger. Amen. And in this day and hour, the only way those that are starving realize their hunger, hunger is, is something to be dealt with in their life is to see someone that has been well fed. You know, I was in Haiti, and uh, we had done a, a, a meeting on an island off of Haiti. It was very primitive. No electricity, no running water. We slept in tents for seven days and did pastor's conference and crusade. And uh, so I was in Port-au-Prince for two days. The airlines don't fly in there, but certain days. The airline that we flew in at the time only flew in in certain days. So I'm walking the streets of Port-au-Prince, and, and I had not been eating much when we were out in the out in the out in the out in the bush and out in the country. And when I got back to Port-au-Prince, the Holiday Inn Hotel, I ate a steak. Got a, ordered me a big steak and ate, sat down. Then I walked all through Port-au-Prince, actually up to the Capitol building and around. And everywhere I went, I was just horrified at how thin and skinny and red-haired, beautiful black-skinned people. Red hair is a sign of starvation in them. 
And I was just praying, and, and I said, Lord, these people are starving. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, they're starving, but they don't know they're starving because starvation is normal to them. That's all they've ever known. And they only realize that they're starving when they see people that are well-fed. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's the problem in the body of Christ today is there's so many people that have gone to dead churches, denominational churches, religious churches, social churches, every other kind of church. You can, but they hadn't come to a church where Jesus is proclaimed and demonstrated. Amen? And because of that, they're starving. But there has to be a, a group of people that start getting well-fed. And see, we saw that come up in the 60s. And, and people, and everywhere you go, I remember uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry. 19, we, we began to go to First Assembly of God. You need to know these things. First Assembly of God, Pasadena, 1961, February of 61. So Brother Hagin would come twice a year, two, two weeks at a time, two services a day. I could almost lip sync his messages. People used to ask me, when did you graduate from Rhema? I would tell them, 1968. And they would say, there was no Rhema in 1968. So I was with Brother Hagin one time in a meeting, and I told him that story, and he laughed. He said, yeah, you probably did before, you know, 1968. You heard me preach so much. Amen. And he was just Brother Hagin. That's all it was. Brother Hagin's coming, okay. And the church, the crowds were never... Cheryl, she could tell you she was she was witnessed the same thing. Alan did the same thing. It was never, it was the church family. It was the church family that was there. Church family that was being edified, church family that was being taught. That's all it was. Until he came in 1968. 1968 he came. And I remember when we walked into the church, our church had a platform and a choir loft. And then there were there were there were uh, benches up there where the minister sat on the platform. And then there were three rows of pews that went all the way back to the back. And then they had the traditional cathedral windows that most of the Assembly God churches that were built in the in the 50s had. And under every one of those windows was a plug. So when we walked in there for the first time ever, there were chairs next to those benches two deep on each side, and those chairs were full. And all of the pews were full. The choir loft was full of people that were sitting in the choir loft. And in every, in every uh, uh, cathedral uh, window like that was a reel-to-reel quarter plugged in with a microphone like this. And everyone had a Bible in their lap and a notebook and pencils and pens. And they'd sit there for hours and listen to the Word of God be taught. So years later, I asked Brother Hagin about it. And the Lord showed it to him in a, in a prophecy of some, something that happened. And my dad was even in that meeting. And he said, literally, it was like turning on a switch. Years of little churches with very few people. Years of just, just faithfully teaching the Word, preaching the Word, and saying, God is moving. Jesus is real. Telling the stories. Amen? And then just like you turned a switch, he said, just like that. Just like that, it just exploded. See, God's doing the same thing right now. And see, we if we miss these awesome, it's because we've had so much prayer in this church, and then the God brings that word, and what he's doing, he's trying to bring that rhema, that revelation of Jesus, and make it more and more real to you, not only through just the, the proclamation, the revelation, but the demonstration of it. Not, not You say, well, I want to see the signs. No, it's the demonstration in your life. That's where, that's where it happens for you. That's where it happens for you. 
Amen. <laughs> these, all these wonderful people in these, in these great crowds that, that's gotten saved, and all of those that we've seen saved for so many, they just started when they got saved. We got to be a part of them being saved because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So we've got to realize when these things happen. And that's literally what's going on. Listen. Listen to this one more time with your heart. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. These are instructions for the last days, church. Amen. As I've been praying, I, you, the church knows this as we've taught this. As I've been pray, uh, teaching this, the Lord says, these are the instructions for the last days. Gird up the Lord's of, loins of your mind and be sober. So many people are under the influence of COVID and what's going on with the Republicans and the Democrats and Trump and Biden and Putin and Ukraine. And you can just go down the litany list of it. And it's just everything going going over here like this. like And Jesus is just standing over here with his arms out at you. That's all he's doing. You make the choice which way you go. And that's when you when you step toward the world and its narrative and all that's going on. Listen, you, you, you lose your sobriety. You come under the influence of that stuff. And like we've been saying, it'll sweep you away. It'll sweep you away. Now notice, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And, and hope, expect to the end. So we're expecting to, for the grace, that switch being turned, just coming on. That is to be brought unto you. Notice it does not say it is the grace that you're going to have to dig and fight and beg and plead. No, it's going to be what? Just presented to you. It's presented like something that you reach up and, and take like a gift. That's what this means. This brought, It means that it literally something very valuable, something very precious, something that, you, that would be the treasure of your life that you reach up. It's been brought unto you. Amen? That is so good. God is so awesome. That, 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 that's just, you know, you say, well, how can he get any bigger on the inside? He'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. <laughs> he just knows how to stretch you. He knows how to stretch you. Hallelujah. Lift your hands one more time. Father, we worship you tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, we worship you tonight. We glorify your holy name. We bless you. We magnify you. We glorify you. We glorify you. We glorify you. Oh, we glorify you, Lord Jesus. We glorify you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand on our feet if we will. Before we leave and are dismissed, we invite you back in the morning, 9 o'clock, for prayer, 10 o'clock for service. Praise God. Wasn't it good this morning? Man, it was so rich, man. The presence of God in there, power of God, hallelujah. Word of the Lord, amen. Praise God. Praise God, praise God. But you know, I want all of us to lift our hands. And, and just as you lift your hands, you know, a lot of times we ask God for things. And we ask it uh, kind of based on, some, you know, something kind of selfish. So, you know, I've had to lift my hand, ask God to increase the anointing, ask God to bless his finances. Well, that, that, that's all well and good, and our faith taps hold of that, takes hold of that. Amen. 
But when I was young, and in many meetings I used to be in the old Assembly of God pastors and, and uh, uh, the, the ones that were really anointed of God, I always talk about God, ask God to touch you. Ask Him to. Ask Him, ask him to touch you. Amen. And I, I really didn't understand that until I was at a, I was at a kids camp, an Assembly of God's kids camp. <laughs> and there was a guy there, and he had just come home from Vietnam, and he wasn't all there. He was throwing a hand grenade, a phosphorus hand grenade, and as he reached back to throw that hand grenade, a sniper shot a bullet through the back of his hand and blew his face off. Horribly disfigured him. But see, he was a Christian. He was, a, he was, a, he was an AG boy. <laughs> yeah, Dave Reader. And he got up and started talking about what God had done for him. Because he was, they, back then there were so many men being killed and wounded at the, at the, during that Tet Offenses when he was wounded. And they were filling up the hospitals both in Tokyo and in Manila. And in Manila, they sent you there. That's where they said, if they sent you to Tokyo, there was hope. But if they sent you to Manila, you were done. And he's just, he's blown to pieces. And he said, I was in a ward with men in which their wives would come in and put their wedding rings on the table. And the men would die within the hour. And he said, I heard these high heels clicking down the hall. <laughs> and he said, my little Holy Ghost wife busted through that door. I said, where's my husband? Amen. And, and through galls and bloody flesh that had been burned to a crisp he said I'm nothing to look at anymore she said you weren't nothing to look at in the first place <laughs> go get his book welcome home Dave you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll cry so hard you'll, you'll wet the pages of the book am I right and God raised him up he was at that kids camp with but with gauze bandage on his face with blood spots on those bandages, preaching about Jesus, talking about how Jesus had saved. He said, I laid in the water with the pieces of my face burning next to me, and Jesus said, David, you're going to be all right. Listen, those types of testimonies, I, 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 I said that to say this, he would say over and over, Ask him to touch you. He touched me. Ask him to touch you. He touched me. He'd say it over and over. And I used to think, I've heard people say, but that one, I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I remember lifting my hands, and it felt like somebody threw something on me. It did. It felt like something threw somebody. I physically felt, I felt like a blanket fell on me. And it was years later when I was in the ministry, and I'd been preaching for five years, and, and, and I never called myself any apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I was just a young preacher. That's what I'd say. I'd go to ministry meetings and they'd say, tell us what office you stand in. I said, well, I was in the principal's office when I was in school. <laughs> Amen. 
And I was in Ireland, and I had been ministering, and some missionaries, very important missionaries, asked me to their home and begin to talk about some very serious problems going on in the move of God in an entire nation. And that same blanket fell on me. And I fell on the floor, and I laughed for 30 minutes. I laughed so hard. When I got up off the floor, there were two round puddles of tears laying there. That's how hard I laughed. And I was like, and they looked up, oh, we wish we could have got some of that, you know. Amen. <laughs> hey, so I, it freaked me out. I went back in the room where I was staying. I started praying. The Lord said, that's the office of a teacher. You'll teach by revelation. Jesus. Unveiled. See, the teacher unveils him through teaching. The pastor manifests the characters of Jesus, the good and the great and the chief shepherd by taking care of the sheep and giving his life for the sheep. Amen. The apostle touches all the other ministry gifts and helps bring all of the order necessary by the supernatural and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ into the church. We have one of the greatest apostles on planet earth that's just our friend, Pastor Paul Chase. I've sat after days of prayer with that man and listened to him talk to ministers and say things that melted me. And I knew, that ain't Paul. That's impossible. He's got about 400 churches under him to prove it. The evangelist with an apostolic anointing. Why would they even come to a place like this? Little old island. Number one, because it's supernatural. Number two, because they're blessed when they leave. Not only are they blessed financially, but the anointing here refreshes, helps and blesses. Well, that same thing must be working on the inside of you. So as before this night is over, lift your hands, hallelujah, and ask God to touch you. And whatever it is that's in your life, that has anything to do with the proclamation, demonstration of the gospel, whether you feel you got a great call on you to preach the gospel, or whether you just feel like I'm a church member and I just want to do my part, God still wants to touch you and cause what is in you to come out and be manifested in a greater measure by a greater measure of grace which is coming upon the church. Touch us, Lord. Touch us, Lord. Touch us, Lord. Touch us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for tonight. I thank you for touching me. My goodness. I tell you what. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you for bringing Jesus to us. You said at the revelation of Jesus that would be brought to us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. That's not even good to say in a faith church, is it? But it's amazing. If you really see it, it's amazing. Thank you, Father. How can we thank you? How can we thank you? How can we thank you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Father, we thank you for this evening as we go to our homes, our hotel rooms, the places in which we'll sleep. Father, thank you for Pastor Eddie and Amanda. We cover them with the love of this church, prayers of intercession. And Father, we thank you that for such a time as this, you have orchestrated this whole thing to cover Pastor Eddie with the prayers and intercession of, of the church and of the men and women that love him so dearly. We thank you, Father. What a beautiful setup, Lord. So, Father, Psalms 91, no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh us. The angels of God have charge over us. A thousand could fall at our side, 10,000 at our right hand, but it will not come nigh unto us. Only with our eyes we behold and see the reward of the wicked. Thank you, Jesus. In our travels, in the righteous labor of our hands, in all that we set our hand to, we thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for placing in our heart an unquenchable fire to know him to know him and all of the external extremities that come out of our life that touch other people because we desire to know him because we desire to know him Father we leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you we love you so much Jesus we declare you Lord Savior healer, baptizer in the Holy Ghost, author and finisher, Alpha Omega, beginning and the end, the first, the last, and our soon coming King and Lord. We worship you. We glorify you. We magnify you. You're a mighty God, mighty God. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with you. <laughs> Glory to God. Father, we leave tonight as the ambassadors of Christ of Christ that you've called us to be. Thanking you here at Island Church. <laughs> We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.